Welcome to the Springin' Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Parr, and this is the place to be for all things equestrian lifestyle, horses, entrepreneurship, as well as so much more. This is your insider's edition to what it's really like living in balance with your passion and your business. I'm so excited to have you guys here with me, so come along for the ride. So you guys have heard me talk about Starlight Equine Bodywork. They prepare horses for the demands of training and sport. They're committed to empowering horse owners everywhere, teaching them safe and effective bodywork techniques for your horses at home. And Starline's kinesiology taping course called Stuck Up is closing enrollment on October 22nd. So you can head on over to their website, which is stuckuphorse.com to learn more about that. As far as tape goes, for horses in training, tape supports joints, addresses fascial issues, lymphatic and circulation issues, and assists muscles, tendons, and ligaments. It can also be used in injury rehab programs for faster and safer recovery. It's an affordable and accessible tool that, with little know-how, can revolutionize your training and rehabilitation programs. Stuck Up is a course designed to give you the confidence and the skills to add kinesiology taping to your toolbox, whether you're a horse owner or a professional body worker. So join Stuck Up and learn to train like a professional and think like a body worker. That website again is stuckupcourse.com. Another thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is CL Equestrian Apparel. Uh, This company was founded in May of 2020 and it is Ontario based. It carries all sorts of different collections, sweaters, base layers, Edward tees, accessories, the whole thing. Um, You can check them out at clequestrianapparel.com. They make great Christmas presents and they're having a Black Friday sale. In fact, the company was founded because the owner was looking for Christmas presents for her friends at the time that were affordable and also related to all things equestrian. And of course, couldn't find any. So she created this company. She's a very impressive young woman. And I would love for you guys to check out the company. If you have any questions or feedback for her, I know that she would love to hear that. And you can get 10% off your first order by visiting the website. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Today's episode, I interviewed Dennis Sweeney. He is an active competitor, rider, and trainer, and he works under Wayne McClellan, who is the top hunter trainer in North America. And we talked all things Hunterland. So lots of stuff about their program, training, preparing for shows, the progression of horses through the hunter divisions, the nitty gritty of, you know, classes and turnout and the show um, routine, that kind of thing. He had lots of great advice for exercises and just a different structure to his own professional career. I thought it was very interesting. And whether you know about hunters or you know nothing about hunters, I think this is a great episode to just get into. So as always, let Dennis know if you listened. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear your feedback as I would as well. You can always email me at springinequestrian at gmail.com and I'll let you guys get into it. So if you're ready to go, then if you wouldn't mind letting everyone know how you got involved with horses and what your experience has been like kind of coming up in the sport to where you are today. That sounds good. I started later than most people. I didn't really get serious into horses until I was into university. So I started riding a little bit at the end of high school when my brother purchased a farm and he became a professional. I did a little bit of riding with him 
And then I continued doing that throughout university. I did a little bit of competing on the OUEA and I did a little bit of Trillium with my own horse and the hunters. And then once I finished university, I started working for Wayne McClellan at WGM. And I started there in September of 2013. I started mainly as a groom and I had a few managerial and office duties there as well. And then progressively over time, I started to do some more riding and then that riding led into a little bit of teaching and a little bit of showing and it grew to where I am now where I do quite a bit of riding quite a bit of showing some teaching when Wayne's busy um, and I also help out in the barn help organize everything and um, yeah I guess I have a, a hand in in all aspects of the barn yeah and uh, as you got into it a little bit later in life, was that, did you have any other trajectory for your professional career or did you just kind of get sucked into horses or was it always in the plan to hopefully find a job that you could um, work in in the industry? To be honest, I always pictured that I would have a job outside the industry and something that where I could make enough money that I could afford to do the sport as an amateur and enjoy it on the side. And um, it wasn't until I started working for Wayne that I really contemplated doing horses full-time and seeing it as something that, that I could make a living at. Yeah. And what, what drew you in? Because you're typically riding a lot of hunters these days, I think from the one we last talked, what was it about uh, what you were doing with Wayne that really kind of piqued your interest? Well, it's such a great system at Wayne's. The horses are immaculately cared for. They're excellent horses. They're excellent clients. So everything is really based on quality. And I think, you know, working, trying to make everything the very best it can be and working hard every day to the highest of standards is, is really exciting. And it's something that I really enjoy. I think we talked a little bit the last time we did this about the elements in a hunter prospect or a horse that you're looking at for a client that you really like to hone in on. What are some of those qualities in the top hunters that you guys look for when you're either shopping for a, usually I would presume a client or amateur rider, junior rider in those hunters and what do those horses tend to look like? Well, as you said, our end goal is always to have a horse that can be successful on the weekend with their junior or amateur rider. So um, it's nice that they can be competitive in the professional divisions where we set them up during the week on Wednesday and Thursday for the junior and amateur. But at the end of the day, it's most important that they're going to be successful and comfortable in their role as a junior or amateur horse on the weekend. So we really look for horses that uh, have a good mindset you know, they're, they're happy to, to take a joke here and there. And um, they've got a beautiful uphill canter. Their flat work is, is very good. They've got good natural balance, um, a lot of range in their stride that they can open and lengthen, or they can shorten and compress wherever they need to. Um, we love a beautiful mover. And uh, obviously a good jumper is very important too. Yeah. And I think 
um, I also got into this discussion with you about, you know, if you had to pick which would be most important, um, would it be, you know, the impeccable expressive jump or, or the movement in your opinion? Um, for me, I would definitely pick jump over movement. Movement is nice. It's always nice to get a good piece of the hack, but in the end, your division is based three, uh, four classes over fences and one class on the flat. So in the end, your over fences becomes more important than the movement. And what is a typical program structure for, um, let's say a horse that you have coming up through the baby greens versus a, a more high performance horse um, when you guys are at home? Okay, I would say both horses were keeping fit and active. So they're getting worked five or six days a week. The baby green, we're probably doing a little bit more jump schooling with them because they are green and they need those miles and experience over fences. Um, we're still working on not over jumping them, of course, and the flat work is still the most important, but in the end, they do need more miles than a, an older performance hunter would need over jumps. So we're probably jumping them on average twice a week and flatting them about four days a week with lots of rail and cavalletti work in between those jump schools. The performance horses, um, if they're in the groove and you know they're ready to show, we try not to waste jumps at home. So we'll keep them fit on the flat, we'll keep them fit doing cavalletti and pole work, but we really try to save those jumps for when they're showing you know, how do you keep them sharp? How exposed do you want them to be so they're not overly spooky for the client? Um, but at the end of the day, how looky do you really want them? And is there anything that you do at home to ensure they're kind of right in that sweet spot with how sharp they are? Well, as your question brought out, you're really looking for that balance. So, and I think that balance shifts through a horse's career and shifts even within a season. When we start out a season um, like this year, it was very different. We didn't go to Florida this past winter. So our horses came out in the spring and they were maybe a little sharper than we're used to. So we were really trying to just tame things down and we didn't want to do anything in our preparation or our schooling to make them overly sharp because they were already a little bit looky, a little fresh going into the show ring. I think further into the season or with an older, more experienced horse, um, yeah, you're looking to, to keep them bright. So maybe that means you're not ticketing them before they show. They're just going in and showing. They're not doing any schooling classes. Or um, it might mean that if you have a horse that's a little bit careless, you want to make sure you get a, a good rub or even a rail before you go in the ring. Um, and uh, we'll keep them interested with some different exercises and, and jumping some unique looking jumps. Like uh, Wayne's a big fan of Swedish oxers at home to, to keep them jumping sharp and square. Yeah, I love that. Um, I like to get guests usually to walk us through a typical day to day, but um, could you maybe walk us through some of your show prep and what a busy day at the show looks like for you? For sure. We like to start early. We really don't like to be rushed. So all of all of us as the staff, we we like to get there early. Oftentimes it'll be around 3.30 or 4 in the morning and make sure that the horses are, are fed 
and they have some time before we take them out to lunge them if they need a lunge. Not all of them do, but the ones that need to get a buck out, we want to make sure they have their time to do that. And then we ride most of them in the rings in the morning just to let them acclimatize and exhale before they need to go into that that ring and show after we've done their lunging and their ride downs we want to make sure that they have plenty of time to get back to their stalls relax have a pee drink some water have some hay and um and we want to make sure they're properly cleaned up so the we like their legs sparkling white if if they if they are white or or black, whatever color they are, we want to make sure they're very clean. Um, if they need a full body bath, that's that's done as well. Um, and oftentimes we'll try to get them on uh, an electromagnetic blanket just to loosen up their backs before they head up to show. Um, and if they have jumped a few jumps in the morning, we'll make sure that their legs are iced. We really make sure that the horse is as comfortable as they can be before they go up to the ring to horse show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, you mentioned a little bit about like icing um, and electromagnetic blankets. Is there any other preventative care that you guys have in the program for the horses? Um, you know, care outside typical basics, like do you use chiropractic massage, do you use therapy plates and all, there's all sorts of different kinds of things that people really have integrated into their programs. And I wondered what yours looks like. I would say the biggest foundation to the program is is as you've said those basics you know making sure the horses are getting out for enough exercise they're stretching their legs um we ice and we poultice and we pack feet um so those are our fundamentals and then yes if horses need extras they certainly get them whether that be chiropractic or acupuncture massage um we do quite a bit of joint support with Legend or Adequan or Kartrofen as they show and as that's needed. And um, if we run in, into any problems, we make sure that the vets are, we like to keep the whole team working together. So the vets and the farriers, um, massage, chiropractors, the riders, the grooms, all of, all of us communicate and want to work together to, to keep our horses sound and happy. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about you and what you're doing and your riding career and even some of the horses that you tend to focus on or what's going on um, kind of in your world as of now. So what horses are you typically riding? Do you have any personal goals with the horses that you're, you're riding right now? Um, what does that look like? Um, so I usually do a little bit of showing on the horses on Wednesday and Thursday to get them in the ring and get them set up for the weekend that they're ready to be successful on the weekend. So we have you know, a lot of horses do the low hunter classes. We have a couple of baby greens, a couple of pre-greens. We have some performance hunters. We didn't do any combined working hunters this year with no Royal. We didn't want to break any horses um, green status before next year so we're we're saving that um but yeah we we have a a great group of baby green and pre-green horses and i'm very excited to to continue working with them and we'll move them up next year to the um if they're baby greens they'll become pre-greens and the pre-greens will become combined working hunters yeah that's awesome um i think that for some people listening they might not know 
kind of the progression of Hunterland in that sense. And you just mentioned it briefly, but I wondered if you could just briefly walk through in detail, you know, those natural progressions of divisions over, over the years and how that kind of works, um, specifically for Ontario, because I think some people would be interested to hear that. Certainly. So um, the, the lowest that a professional horse can show is two foot nine, and that's in the baby green division. And that's only open to horses in their first year of showing over fences. Um, after they complete their baby green year, then they're eligible for um, pre-green, low pre-green, which is three foot. Uh, and after horses go through that three foot green year, they often move up to high pre-green, which is three foot three. And following that year, they move up to first year green, which is three foot six. And from that, it's uh, three foot nine, second year green. And then your regular working hunter is four foot. Yeah. Yeah, quite the progression. Um, yeah. Is there any, do you have a, do you have a favorite division <laughs> that you like to be in? Yeah. Um, you know what, any division when you're on a good horse is a great division to be in. But um, I do really enjoy the baby greens and pre-greens. I think it's fun to, to start the horses out and to, to get them in the show ring there. It's so exciting to see them go from being so green at the start of the year towards the end of the year they really everything starts to click for them and they're understanding their job and it's really exciting to go through that progression yeah where you see the most change because it's I'm sure so rewarding and that was my other question was you know you personally do you have a type that you tend to feel is like best suited to you as a rider or one that you like to ride in the ring and what is the feeling of that horse or the look of that horse or the characters of that horse I really appreciate a horse that likes to learn and a horse that's very trainable I I love being able to to get on a horse and it just gives you that feeling that it knows what you're asking it's very very well broke and and really tries and wants to go into the ring and win and I think um, I think if you spend enough time with the horses and you're very clear about what you want they they become that way they they become very trainable and they really want to work with you and that's such a great feeling and with the progression of, of young hunters um, people may not know that it doesn't it technically doesn't really start at a specific age in terms of like when you could take a horse into the baby greens is there do you find that there's a bit of a pattern with the ages of horses that you tend to bring into those divisions um, or is it all over the books well as you said it there is no specific age but definitely there are patterns so i would say on average your baby green is about five to seven years old sometimes you have some younger ones sometimes you have some some older ones who maybe started out in dressage or and then came over to the discipline and then and then your pre-greens are you know a couple of years older than that and then your combined working hunters are usually anywhere between I guess eight and twelve. Super helpful and I wondered what you feel are some of the fundamental skills that make for a good hunter rider. You've done some coaching and um, obviously you're very well versed in in showing and competing yourself and being in, in a program with juniors and amateurs that are showing competitively, what are some of those elements that you're looking for in somebody 
who is a good, talented hunter writer? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I think <laughs> the biggest thing is attention to detail and willing to work hard. I think um, having talent is nice, but I think at the end of the day, the the riders that tend to be the most successful for the longest period of time are the ones that that get up early every day and and work really hard at it. Um, it's something that uh, takes a lot of time. Like in any discipline, it takes a lot of time to get good at, and you have to to be willing to put in that time and uh, and to not give up when when it doesn't seem to be coming easily, but always just keep going and working hard at it. For sure. And I, I, I like hunters because of how tedious they can be and technical. And a lot of people don't like to sit there and watch round after round. And I think you have to have a genuine interest in the intricacies of it. But one of the things I also, I don't think I brought up the last time we chatted, but I, I wanted to was, um, you know, Sometimes we see trends in the hunter ring with the way that people are riding, the way that they're navigating the courses, um, particularly to even in the, the professional classes or, or, or the junior amateur classes where people do some funny different things up there on the horse to try to show off their horse's expression. Is there any of those um, interesting, interesting little I, nuances in the way like some people bring up to me and our audience specifically, you know, they see people per perhaps doing a, a full seat versus a half seat or alternating at certain times. Some people mention um, kind of overdoing the two-point seat on the fence, kind of landing differently on the on the jump. Um, any of those things that stick out to you that you've you've noticed, anything that tends to work or you find you have in your own personal riding style or other things that kind of look tacky? Well, yeah, there are a lot of unique styles and and you see so many different ways of navigating the hunter courses i think um oftentimes when we see really good professional riders doing a, a certain style or you know as you said landing and really exaggerating that two points or uh, or maybe posting canter around the ring when you see someone really successful at the top level doing that it's very easy to to want to imitate that but I think uh, it's important to recognize that we all have our own style and we all have certain techniques that are going to work better for us or work better for our horses. So um, I think it's important to, you know, really, really break down the, the basics and um, whether that be, um, oh, goodness, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, I think making a toy in the background <laughs> yes my dog is, is uh, playing with her toy yeah no, okay. um, <laughs> so I would say yeah I think I think it's more important to focus on 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 the horse's way of going and focus less on a rider's specific style you know if somebody's out there posting the canter well maybe don't look so much at, at what they're doing up in the saddle but look at look at how their horse is going because in the end, the hunter is about judging the horse. So if that horse is, has a beautiful rhythm and they're jumping well out of, out of stride, then that person's habit or, or technique really isn't affecting the horse. Um, if, uh, if a rider is you know, landing and really exaggerating their two point, but the horse is making a beautiful effort and it's landing in good balance, then 
that's not a fault that that rider isn't isn't hindering their horse um, and obviously that style works for that for that rider now if you see somebody doing something that you find a little bit different or or um strange but it's 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 harming the horse's way of going well then that's something that should probably be corrected if it's affecting the horse's balance if it's affecting um the way the horse is meeting the jumps then that's something that needs to be changed yeah that's great answer to a difficult question um i had a hunter judge on previously and she mentioned you know always going back to like trying to show your horse in their best light and not be distracting from that and i just think it's yes. interesting interesting thing to watch when you're really paying attention because everybody has like you said a little bit of a different style um and i uh, you know the other question that came up that i had written down and never really got to last time was um you know mistakes are always made in the ring especially when you have younger horses or greener riders whatever it may be so, and I get all these questions all the time, you know, if you've done a trip and your first line you accidentally add, it, it, what do you do personally? You know, like people go, okay, well, should I just add in everything and make it like a schooling trip and make it look really consistent with clients and younger horses? There's lots of mistakes or funny little things. Do you have any advice for riders when they make one of those mistakes and then they have the rest of the course to do? Oh, yeah. And, and these mistakes happen all the time and at, at the top levels as well. If you if you watch any any horse show, everybody always has a bad day or or a horse has a bad day. Anyhow, miscommunication happens and it's no big deal. I think you have to feel where you're at in the course. If if you added in that line, as you said, um, well, quickly think, OK, did I add in that line? Because the horse is a little fresh and doing the correct number is going to set them up to run away or buck on the backside. If that's the case, then I'd probably keep adding as I go around the, the ring. Now, if you added because uh, it was just a mistake on your part and you were a little bit underpaced or you had too much contact in the line, then you know you need to correct that as you continue your course. So loosen up a little bit, you know, add some leg and 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 free up a little bit through your arm and through your hand and and allow the horse to travel forward and and do the correct um, do the correct riding as you finish the course. Yeah. Um, and the other thing with the like, navigating the ring, um, we spoke a little bit about what an ideal jump looks like last time. And, and I think I've asked many people, you know, articulate what we're looking for when we're having hunters do fences, like what, you know, how we want them to look. But one of the things that we don't talk too much about, and that I wanted to ask you about, because you're you're looking at all those details all the time is, um, you know, we can, we can have lots of horses that have great front ends for the jump. What do you look for in the back end of a hunter? What, how do you, what kind of exercises do you do to make sure that they're not uh, necessarily scooting and they're quieter with their back end and they're strong coming off the ground and they make the shape that you want? Um, I don't think that's something that we talk about as much as the front end. Yeah, good point. Um... Sometimes, well, I think good flat work again, everything comes back to good flat work. So you want your horse strong on the flat and you want it working from behind on the flat. Um, and then I think things that you can do um, to make a horse a little more careful behind, you can always use weighted boots. Um, 
um, I think you can, yeah, you can use weighted boots, um, you know, maybe set them up that, uh, that you get a little rub behind before you head into the ring to, to make sure that they're, they're careful behind. And I think the rider's release has a big impact on how the horse finishes the jump. So for the hunters, um, you really want to make sure that you're, you're freeing up on your horse's mouth uh, in the air and that you're really staying down and closed with your hip angle on the backside to let them finish that jump before you take back the contact and, and resume your, your position in between the fences. Yeah, what a good point to be made because on occasion, I think it can be a bit of a reaction in the ring whether the horse is a little fresh or the rider's a little nervous to snap up before the horse finishes the jump and that definitely can affect it. Such yes. a good point. Um, so going back to you and your own riding, are there any accomplishments or not necessarily doesn't have to be in the, in the ring, but it can be that really specifically stand out to you that really makes you go like, okay, this is so exciting. I just want to do more of this. Yeah, it's, I, I can't pinpoint a single class or a single division or a single day at a, a horse show, but I think when you have a good day at a horse show, whether that be a professional day or a day on the weekend with the amateurs and the juniors, when you see those horses go well, whether that's for you or, or for the clients, it's, it's so exciting and it's so, so rewarding and it, it just makes you want to, to carry on. And one of those days can really help make up for the many, many bad days or the days that things don't go as planned. Um, so it, mm -hmm. it, it is nice to have one of those days here and there to, to keep you going and, and to, to, to make sure that, um, that you realize in the end that it is all worth it. All those tough days and all those early mornings and long days. Yeah. And I mean, that led me right into my next question, but I think you just answered it because I was going to ask, you know, we recognize the hard work it takes to be doing things at a certain level in the industry and what keeps you motivated and connected to the passion you have for it. And I think that's, you know, those couple of good days sprinkled in with, with the bad, as you mentioned. Um, I, I wonder too, if you've ever dealt with a lack of self-confidence or, or nerves you know, those feelings that we do get as whether it be professionals or riders in general. Um, and how do you, how have you managed those feelings over time? I definitely have felt that way in the past. And to be honest, I feel that way still every day. Um, and it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't entirely go away. I don't think it ever will go away, but it does get a little bit easier as you just keep working at it. And it's a very slow progression to getting easier. I think it's important to realize that you're not alone in, in those feelings. I think everybody in the industry who cares feels that way. And um, I think it's important to realize too that feeling that way to a certain extent is a good thing because it, it drives you to, to work at it and to, to get better and to get up every day and give it your best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And being in kind of a renowned program, at least where we are for sure, um, did you, that transition from, you know, working in the management and doing a little bit here and there and having a really diverse kind of job at the beginning to um, 
perhaps doing some showing on client horses, that kind of thing, where you have the pressure of performance, not just for yourself, but also for, of course, your team and for others and for the horse that you're riding. Um, you know, did you feel a sense of, of pressure or ever deal with a little bit of imposter syndrome and, and those types of feelings when you make that transition to the professional side of things? I'll answer yes to that. And, and again, something that you still feel uh, on a regular basis yeah. and it, it doesn't necessarily go away, but you, you learn how to deal with it. You learn how to cope with that. And um, it's, it's so important to have a good team behind you if you have a supportive trainer and a supportive group of clients, that makes the world of difference. Um, and then it's a very important to trust in your system, trust that you've done your homework, you've, you've worked hard every day, you've prepared your horses to the best of your ability. And then when it's time to go in the ring, trust all of the work that you've done and, and allow what, what will happen, happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and going back to preparing the horses, um, another question that I did have for you was, um, can you somewhat articulate what you do to prepare a horse for their classes or for their amateur client? Like, how do they feel and what kind of exercises do they do in their flat work? And perhaps if there is some jumping exercises, but when you're leading up to a week of showing or whatever it might be, or even when you start that week, um, what are you looking for in those horses when they're going? It's very tailored to each horse, of course, but um, we do, as I said, we do a lot of work over rails, over low fences, cavaletti, so that we're not overtaxing their legs before they show. Um, we, and we tailor, the preparation to each horse. So if we have a horse that has trouble with, with a lead change, well, we're going to address that lead change and, and address it in, in different manners. So if it's struggling a little bit, say with its left to right lead change on the straight line, well, we're gonna make sure we jump a few jumps or some lines on a left lead and we're practicing that lead change as we head into the corner. Um, now, if it's a horse perhaps that is uh, has a tendency to swap in front of the jumps, maybe one direction more than the other. We're going to do quite a few diagonal jumps that we're practicing holding it on the lead that it wants to swap off of. Um, and maybe we'll do some turning off on the backside of that diagonal jump so that they're not looking too far ahead and, and planning that, that swap. So if we have a horse that wants to swap say left to right when it's going across that left lead diagonal we'll be jumping that left lead diagonal and we'll be circling them off left on the back side so turning to the right will be we'll want to brainwash that out of them um if we have a horse yeah. we like to practice you know we want to practice what's a little bit difficult for the horse we want to address the horse's weaknesses and make those better yeah that's such a great answer because people want to hear the specifics of kind of, they all deal with these issues like swapping in front on a diagonal and having a sticky lead change, um, yeah. perhaps bulging in the lines, those kind of things. So yeah. any exercises that you guys do that are outside of, you know, of course, just 
having the strength and connection as a professional to just hold them in place and drill that in. But there's what you mentioned, doing the diagonal and, and turning off. Um, and what I mentioned as well with the, the bulging in the lines, that kind of thing. Is there anything you do to really hone in on the straightness of a horse? And of course, it comes back to flat work. Is there anything specific that you work on is in terms of an exercise when you have um, horses that like to do that? Or even, um, you know, we have, there's lots of horses that have kind of tendency when they're young, they prefer to land on a certain lead or they um, have like little quirks like that. Is there things that you like to integrate into your training that deal with those issues? Yes, we, we don't do a lot of jumping of courses. We do a lot of of single jumps and a lot of exercises. So you had mentioned bulging in lines. Well, if we have a horse that bulges too hard to the right, we'll probably jump in of the line, turn off left, and then we'll circle back and we'll jump out of the line and turn off left. So we do a lot of work on brainwashing the horse that, um, that we're addressing their weaknesses and we're trying to make them better. And I think as a professional, yes, you can you can fake things in the ring, but I don't think it makes the horse better over time. I think you need to train it and uh, address its weaknesses so that it goes well for you, but also, and more importantly, goes well on the weekend with its owner. Yeah, such a good point. Um, and while you were talking, I was thinking of another thing that I know people are always asking is, you can get like I, when you're kind of starting with a horse, you get to that point where you have kind of a quality canner, um, but what sometimes challenges people, riders and horses is opening the step enough, but not losing the quality of the canner. Do you have any advice around that? That's, uh, that's a challenge for sure. Um, something that we practice a lot of at home is having a set of, a line of rails and they're set on a 12 foot stride. So okay. you're making sure that you're practicing working at the correct rhythm so that when you get to the horse show, it doesn't feel fast. It feels normal. Um, I think too, a lot of times if a horse gets a little more unmanageable working on that 12 foot stride, oftentimes they might be a little bit too fresh. So, you know, it's important to do a little preparation when you know you're going to, to have a jump school or you want to, you want to practice getting ready for the horse show. So maybe that means your, your horse needs a little more flat work before you get into those exercises, or maybe it means that your horse needs to get outside a little bit longer or spend five or 10 minutes on the lunge line and, and get a buck out so that when you're asking them to correctly go around on a 12 foot stride that they're not too fresh, but that they're ready to learn and they're ready to listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, when you are putting in a trip and you're going about to go in the ring, is there certain elements or things that you perhaps do to, that, you know, make a good impression on, on the judge? Um, it's kind of a, this is a very lofty question, but I had written it down in that some people don't know they, wa they watch almost too much. They watch people do different things. Like perhaps one person comes in and does a nice, beautiful walk to canner and starts off on their course. And of course it depends what vision you're doing and what class you're in. But um, then there's other people doing kind of a different approach 
depending on where the starting fence is, they're showing off their horses trod and then walking and cantering or trotting to canter. There's all different things depending on many factors, but, um, and, and also at the end of the course. So, so thinking about at the beginning and the end, is there any little things that you have kind of learned or you do to make sure you're making the right impression? Yeah, I think one of the most important things, of course, is having your horse beautifully presented. So um, it's important that yeah. your horse is in good weight. It has a beautiful coat. You're well turned out on top of that horse as you head into the ring. After that, with you want to set your horse up um, and, and do what's going to best set your horse up for that round. So if you have a horse that's a little bit lucky, I would make sure you do a little bit of a tour and give it a moment to exhale before you head right up to the canter and come on down to the jump one. Uh, if you have a horse that's maybe a little bit dull, well, I wouldn't waste too much time. I would pick up an early canter and, and get going and get right up mm -hmm. to rhythm and then come right down to jump one. Um, if you have a horse that has a beautiful trot, as you mentioned, it's nice to show that off. If, if you don't have such a beautiful trot, well, maybe you spend a little less time at the trot starting your course and ending your course. You really want to highlight what your horse does the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a good answer. Um, and also about, you know, getting up to rhythm at the beginning of a course, because I think that's something that um, perhaps, you know, with in the junior and amateur classes, I, at least with my own clients, they really struggle to get on that big canner for their first handful of fences. So great advice for anybody listening. But you also mentioned um, the horses being in like really good condition. And we talked a little bit last time also about nutrition and management. If you could kind of elaborate on um, your own system with Wayne and his program and what that looks like at home for the horses. The most important part of their diet is their hay. We like to make sure that they're on good quality hay and that the majority of their nutrients and calories are coming from that. It makes them look full and beautiful. And it also keeps their brains in line because they're not getting too hot from too much grain. Um, we do subsidize the hay in the pasture with a high fat, high fiber grain and with some oil in their grain to make sure their coats are shining. And uh, we add some some supplements as well tailored to what each horse needs but the the biggest part of keeping them looking healthy and shiny and beautiful is the hay and the grass for sure absolutely um as far as fitness and conditioning I, it's always a little bit different for everyone um, and, and especially when it comes to hunters and obviously there's a level of fitness needed to make sure that they're going to remain sound and be able to do their job but what does the workload, I guess, look like in terms of your regular hunter? Are you, um, do you have like a certain general amount of time that they get worked each day? How much are they moving? How fit do you really want them? It's a fine line, as you mentioned. You certainly don't want them overly fit that then they're, they're too fresh at the horse shows and they're hard to get quiet, but you, they also need to be fit for their soundness and to keep their careers long and sustainable. So I would say on average, the horses are, are getting turned out. They're stretching their legs every day. And on top of that, they are getting ridden for 20, 25 minutes, um, six days a week to keep them loose and fit. 
uh, for the horses that are that need a little more fitness, maybe the the older creakier ones, they need a little more work just to keep them sound and loose. We spend a little more time um, with them, not necessarily you know pounding on them, but you know doing a lot of walk and trot, let them loosen up, give them time to stretch and and keep those joints in good order. Do you have, do you have your own horse? Have you ever had your own horse? Obviously you, I think you mentioned that growing up, you might've. Yeah, I did. I do have actually two of my own horses. I've only had two in my career so far, but, and I still have them. Um, they're retired at oh, my parents' farm. That is so sweet. Do you have any future goals of owning any horses? You're happy doing what you're doing right now. What is the next, hopefully, you know, long-term um, in this program look like for you? Well, I'm so lucky to be doing what I am right now. I'm in such a great program surrounded by great people who I work with every day and great clients. And Wayne is amazing to work for and to learn from. So I'm so happy that, that I get to do what I do every day. And I want to continue doing that. Um, with regards owning my own horses, yeah, I would definitely entertain the idea of an investment horse down the road. Um, but I'm in, in no rush and it certainly would need to be the right one and at, at an affordable price that I could manage. Yeah. And, um, it's funny, you know, when you're involved in something like you are, or you're a professional in the sport, how little time you end up having for your own type of horses and very true with everyone. So, um, you know, are there any big lessons that you've learned working alongside Wayne or any words of advice? Um, or things that you've noticed that he kind of instills in his riders that you think makes the big difference? I would say he puts a very big emphasis on good horsemanship and that, um, that it's not good enough just to ride well. You need to be able to do all aspects of the job well. So you need to be interacting with the clients and you need to understand your horses you need to know your horse's nutritional needs you need to be well acquainted with your vets and your farriers and your dentists you really need to know all aspects of the industry to be a successful professional so I think that he's definitely instilled that in me and that's something that I need to work at every day still um with regards his riders, I think he really focuses on doing the basics really well. He doesn't do complicated lessons. He really focuses on keeping things simple, keeping things positive, and again, doing the basics really, really well. And it translates into great success with his riders in the show ring. And, and what is one thing that you're looking forward to right now? Well, we're, we're looking for some new horses for some clients. So that's always exciting, getting young horses in and getting them started into the program, getting them ready for the next show season. We will hopefully be heading to Wellington mm -hmm. with some horses. So it'll be fun to do, to get back there again after a little time off. And um, it'll be, it's such a great thing to go down to Wellington and see all of the great horses and the great riders. You learn so much just being ringside and, and being in that environment every day, it really rubs off on you, the, the quality and the quantity of, of horses down there. 
Well, that's very exciting. And I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate you re-recording this. For anyone oh listening, goodness. we did an entire interview and it was fantastic. Um, a lot of the same topics, but a couple of different ones. And, and of course I lost the audio. So Dennis was kind enough to come on and do this again. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for, for organizing this. I think that it's, it's such a great idea what you're doing. So thank you. Oh, no problem. Um, there are so many other hunter questions I could ask you. So sometime in the future, I'll have to get you back on and get into the, I don't know if everyone is as interested in the finite, like tedious details as I am, but it's definitely interesting to hear from your perspective. Um, and it's great information for anyone listening, anybody who's involved in the industry or just interested in learning more about it, because um, for those of anyone listening who, who doesn't really know the difference between disciplines, um, there is a lot to learn when it comes to hunters. It's not just watching pretty horses go around the course. Of course, that's part of it. But um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. It was great. Thank you, Jessica. Okay, that was the episode for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really liked all the, the tedious meticulousness of the hunters and the detail work that it is really involved when it comes to hunters. Um, whether you kind of know about it and you watch or you're actually a hunter rider, I think that it was relatable and um yeah, let me know what you think. I, I think I'm interested in getting more hunter people on as well, because we've had a lot of, you know, Grand Prix jumpers and Olympic riders and not so many hunters. So that's definitely something that I'm interested in doing. Just a reminder that if you guys visit um, springandeck.com, there's lots of kind of freebies on there for you lately. I've got free riding exercises that you can download and also some free meditations. Um, Lots of good stuff. So be sure to check that out. And you can also reach out to me on Instagram at springanek. Sorry, there's my phone. Um, and DM me. Let me know that you listened to the podcast and what you liked, what you didn't like. Share it on your stories and I will repost it because I want to reach as many people in our community as I can and let them know that this podcast is here for them. So thank you guys so, so much for your listenership as always and have an awesome day.